Well, for those of you who were here last week, you're going to really have a foot up in this lesson, number 22 of the book of Galatians. We did a review last week, kind of put some of the concepts of the book together. And that review, if you were here, is going to help you today. Because we are in chapter 4 and verse 21, and we're about to read a Midrash by Paul. We're all familiar with Midrash. We've heard many Midrash read as um, we try to show what first century thought was on a particular topic. Well, now we get a Midrash from Paul. And this Midrash is Paul's attempt to show the supremacy of the covenant with Abraham versus the Sinai covenant. Just as a quick review, really quick, remember the key points from last week were, number one, Paul is trying to show that the true covenant promised to the non-Jews and to the Jews is not through the Sinai covenant, but it's through the covenant promises made to Abraham. That promise, number two, that promise given to Abraham comes to you the same way that it came to Abraham. And that is by faith in this promised seed of Abraham. Abraham believed God for a seed. And when you believe God, when you believe in that seed, then you inherit the promises of Abraham as well. The promises to the nations come about only through Abraham. Not through the law, not through works of the law. The promise to Abraham is not dependent on the law either. Those are kind of the key points from last week. And so Paul says in verse 21 of chapter 4, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to what the law says? Paul says, you who want to be under the law. So we know that Paul is speaking first and foremost to these non-Jews who are contemplating circumcision and conversion which would place them under the law, it would be the same as if they stood at Mount Sinai and said, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's the process that they're trying, that they're asking these Galatians to do. And it's what it does for you. It places you under this Sinai covenant. It makes you a Sinai covenant member. You, by virtue of a vow are saying to God the same thing the Jewish people said at Sinai, thereby making you responsible as the Jewish people. Now remember what under the law entails. You not only are are desiring or, or, or vowing to follow God's written commands, but it would also require you to obey all the subsequent rulings and the laws of God by the sages and the rabbis. In other words, they're asking you to keep the works of the Torah as we commonly or as we commonly refer to as the oral Torah or the Mishnah. They're asking you to do those things as well. You're going to learn the customs and traditions of the rabbi, the way he walked through life. And what do they call that? We've all heard it before. They call it the yoke of the Torah, the yoke of the Torah, because uh, it resembles that's what it resembles. Even Yeshua, in speaking of following him and his Torah observance, calls it a yoke. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've all 
should have seen a yoke at one time or at least a movie where two animals were yoked together. If, if not, I put some pictures up here for you. I put a picture of a yoke up here for you and also a picture of two animals yoked together. You see, a yoke is used to bind two animals together so that they can pull a load or pull a plow. Ideally, at least one of those animals is trained and dominant so he knows so that when he pulls, the other pulls as well, right? Ideally, you want both animals to pull equally. So Yeshua is saying here to the Jewish people of his day, he's saying, come you who are weary. And what does he mean by that? What does he mean, you who are weary? Well, we read it last week, remember? Matthew chapter 23, verse 2 says, The teachers of the law and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So Yeshua says of the rabbis that they tie up heavy loads and place them on men's shoulders and they're unwilling to help. You see, when you took on the yoke of a rabbi, it was the understanding that the rabbi would be like one of those animals. Take on my yoke, pulling the load with you. That he would practice and preach, but that's not the case here, Yeshua says. Of the works of the law or the yoke of the Pharisees, Yeshua says they are not willing to help pull the load. As with any yoked animals, the rabbi should be pulling the load as well. He's pulling and leading would make the load lighter for the disciple or the people he was teaching. And what Yeshua is saying is they have not really taken on the yoke of the rabbi because the rabbi's not willing to pull, not willing to be yoked. Showing them the way. He's not showing them the way. So what has he done then in essence? He's reduced them to slavery. However, if you follow Yeshua, what he's saying, he said, take on my yoke. It's easy. You see, Yeshua will not only pull the load with you and show you the way, but he will do the bulk of the pulling. He's like the trained animal. He will lead and pull with you, not making the load heavier, but easier. Well, the same is true here. The works of the law concerning non-Jews and this conversion process, the influencer asking, is a difficult, heavy load for them. We spoke of how it would cost them their family, make them look down on in the sight of the rest of the community, the unbelieving community, that is. It could even cost them their lives. It's a difficult load and no one is going to help them. You're on your own. You don't even have true fellowship until you've completed the process. Paul is saying you don't need to take on this Sinai covenant. You're a covenant member already through Abraham, which is superior to the covenant at Sinai. And now when he says you want to be under the law, he's speaking to these non-Jews. And how... Do you place yourself under the law? Well, like I said, you take on this covenant the Jewish people made at Sinai. They all said at Sinai, what the Lord has spoken, we will do. You have to take on the commands of God and they've taken and and they've also taken on mediators of the covenant as well. Right? Because they turned down hearing from God directly. They said, 
have Moses speak to us. Well, if the non-Jews say yes, this is what they're going to do, have to do. It will be as if they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai on that day and said those exact words as well and committed to the same thing. And so we're going to want to keep this slavery in mind as we read today. And also what I said last week about the Sinai covenant and the promise. The nation of Israel, those who are under this Sinai covenant and those who have faith in the promised seed who are of the Abrahamic covenant, a promise. There's a difference. And so he says, you want to take on the Torah, but do you not listen to what the Torah says? Remember, the Torah at this time is is read in the synagogue. You don't have your pocket Bible. He says, don't you listen to what the Torah says? Well, Paul's going to tell him, and this is the Midrash he's going to use to do it. And it's a great Midrash. It starts out, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one of a female servant, the other of a free woman. The son of the female servant was born in response to the physical, to the flesh. But the son of the free woman was born through a promise. These things are an allegory for these two covenants. One, which is Hagar, is from Mount Sinai, bringing forth into bondage. So before we get to the exact meaning here, I should point out that this would be fighting words for the influencers. Think about it. Paul is telling them that those who rely on the Sinai covenant for right standing with God are like Ishmael. Right? Now let me ask you a question. How would you like to be equated to Ishmael? Right? Not really, right? To be equated to Ishmael for a Jew is a supreme insult. Right? If you were a non-Jew and you were contemplating this process of entering into the Sinai covenant, how would you like to realize that you were training to be Ishmael? A wild donkey of a man. So this is a huge insult. Before we get started to parse this out, let's parse it out and see what this all means. In Paul's Midrash, Hagar represents the covenant at Mount Sinai. And the subsequent yoke of the influencers, the yoke that these influencers are attempting to put on the non-Jews in Galatia. Sarah, of course, is a free woman and represents the covenant of the promise with Abraham. If we look at the actual story, it's all true because Hagar was a slave. She was the handmaiden of Sarah. Now, if a slave bears a son, then the son is a slave as well, right? And if a free woman bears a son, then he is the heir, right? So this is a perfect comparison between the covenant, these two covenants. If we look at the life of Abraham, there are no works of the law dictated to him. He had no rabbi between him and God telling him what to do because he had relationship with God. God spoke to him directly and then he did what God said. Listen to what God says of Isaac to Isaac about Abraham. He says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me, kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. Now, the word there for laws is the plural of Torah. And it means law, but it more accurately means instruction. 
And many people try to convince you that Abraham had a complete Torah given to him. That's not the meaning here. In this case, it merely means instruction. So if Abraham had no Torah as in a written document, how did he learn how to keep God's instructions? How did he learn? Simple, right? He had a relationship with God. God spoke to him and then he kept those instructions. If we look at the Sinai covenant, we're going to see the same thing. Well, almost the same thing, except Israel turned it down. Listen to what it says in 19 verse 5 and 6 again. Now, if you hear my voice and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Do you see it? God wants for Israel to hear his voice as Abraham did. He wants the same freedom for Israel that Abraham had. Abraham needed no influencers telling him to do this or to do that because he had a relationship with God. He heard his instruction directly from God and that's what he wants for all of Israel. Hear my voice and keep my covenant. But what did they end up with? Go to chapter 20, verse 19. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They end up with a man between them and God. And in the time of Yeshua, they end up with many men between them and God. They have the rabbis between them and God. They have the priests between them and God. They have the Sanhedrin between them and God. They end up with mediators. And so Paul says of the two covenants, one produces men under the direction of other men or slaves and the other men under God or free men. Now, the offspring of Hagar, the Sinai covenant, produces slave and it represents works done in the flesh. Ishmael was brought forth because of a doubt on the part of Sarah that God was going to keep his promise. God said that Abraham was going to produce a seed and an heir, but Sarah realizes that she's beyond childbearing age. So she's going to take matters into her own hands. And Abraham is going to bring about an heir. So the son of Hagar is brought about through a lack of faith in the promise of God. Ishmael is a product of the flesh. A product of doubt in the promise of God to bring about the seed that he promised. No, we're going to do it ourselves. You just take my handmaiden and produce a seed. So Ishmael represents trying to bring about what God has promised through your own effort. Well, what does does God say? God says, hey, Abe, I don't need your help. Right? Does God need help? No. So God tells Abraham, this child will not be your heir, but a son from Sarah will be your heir. In other words, he's saying, Abe, I don't need or I don't even want your help. Because I promised this and I'm going to do it. And so Sarah has Isaac. And Sarah's son is born not of a slave, but of a free woman. And he's brought about by God fulfilling the promise that God has made. And so Sarah, though she's beyond childbearing age, that means nothing to God. We want God to do things in our timing, right? The problem is our timing is not God's timing. God wanted 
this son to be the son of a miraculous birth to foreshadow another miraculous birth, this time through a virgin. But Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Let's read verse 24. These things may be taken figurative. For the women represent two covenants, one from Mount Sinai and bears children who are slaves. This is Hagar. And so we've all probably heard at one time or another, some preacher teach that the covenant of Sinai is, of course, the old covenant. And that it's represented by Hagar. And Sarah represents the new covenant. Right? We've all heard that. Well, but there's a real problem with that type of thinking. And what's the problem? The problem is it's, it doesn't agree with Scripture. The first problem with it is the new covenant is spoken about in the book of Hebrews and the book of Jeremiah. And it is the only new covenant that's spoken of in the Bible. And what does it say? Let's read it and find out. It says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer will man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Did you get it? The new covenant is to Israel and Judah. I don't see anything about the nations in there. I don't see any non-Jews included in that. That means if you use that interpretation, like the Christians often do, it still leaves you having to join the nation of Israel. Doesn't it? Because the nations are out of the picture. If you use that interpretation, you've actually destroyed Paul's argument. Right? So we all know by now that that isn't the case. Well, it's It is true that Hagar does represent the covenant at Sinai. Paul states it. But the fact is, Sarah represents not the new covenant, but the covenant promise given to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. The law given at Sinai and the new covenant are both part and parcel of the promise given to Abraham. But the promise is superior because it was given first under no conditions. And that is the context and it proves Paul's point. He's comparing the covenant at Sinai with the promise given to Abraham. The fact is, this has everything to do with non-Jews and how they would enter into the promise of God. It is not through their own effort. It's not through works of the law. It's not through a change in ethnicity. Through their own work of their own hands as represented by Hagar, but it's through the promise given to Abraham of a seed represented by Sarah. And remember, we spoke earlier in the study of how when a non-Jew completed the conversion process through the works of the law, it was said that he was born again, this time a son of Abraham. Well, Paul says that's true. It will make him a son of Abraham and Hagar. In other words, Ishmael. Paul says non-Jews and Jews who keep their eyes steadfastly on the seed of Abraham 
are the sons of Abraham through faith in the promised seed given to Abraham. These are the sons of Abraham and Sarah, free and heirs to the promise. Amen. Verse 25 says, now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. He says, Hagar corresponds to Mount Sinai and this earthly city of Jerusalem. And then he says, and she's in slavery. Well, we just covered how the Sinai covenant puts those who convert to it or who are under it in slavery. And he says that corresponds to the heaven or to the present city in Jerusalem. Well, think about what he's saying here. If we actually look to the city of Jerusalem in the time of Paul, it's under the rule of man. God is not in the temple. He just told us that he departed from them in, in the book of Jeremiah. God is not in the temple. If you, if you go up to inquire of God, you need to know that he's not there. In accordance with the Sinai covenant, you don't have freedom to go before God, but a man has to do that for you because that's what you ask for. That's the covenant that was made. They said, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. They asked to be under the rule of men. Not only that, but much later, you know, they asked for a king as well. They want to be under the rule of men, right? You see, if you fail to keep the covenant in some way, it's not God who you're going to answer to. It's men you're going to answer to, right? So in essence, this covenant has reduced the people to slavery, just like Yeshua said. If a non-Jew becomes part of that covenant and he finds his identity in that way, he places himself under Jewish law and not just the book of the Torah, but the works of the Torah. And in doing so, he strips himself of the promise and the freedom that he has in Messiah Yeshua. And it place, he replaces it with a heavy load. Verse 26 says, But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry. You, have, you who have pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than those of her husband. So what does he say? Those who find their identity in the promised seed of Abraham and the faith of Abraham, theirs is the Jerusalem above, right? Where does God reside? Does he, does he reside at this time in the tabernacle or in the temple? Or did he? No. Those who are faith of Abraham are free from earthly entanglements and are able to inquire of the Lord directly. The writer of Hebrews tried to relate the same thing to the Hebrews, only puts it a little bit more directly. He says this in verse 19. Brethren, we therefore have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, his flesh, having a Cohen Gadol over the house of God, let us draw near with full, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and having our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering because one who promised is faithful. 
Let us consider how to encourage one another in good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as the ha- is in, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another so much more as we see the day approaching. So there's a Jerusalem and a temple above, right? One of which the one down here is just a copy. And the writer is saying that though the prom, through the promise, we reside in the Jerusalem above. We're able to inquire of God in the Holy of Holies of the temple. We can enter into the Holy of Holies by and through Yeshua, the promised seed of Abraham. We can draw near to God through faith because our hearts have been made clean. And then what does the writer say? He says, let us hold fast without wavering. Remember, that was the other distinguishing mark of Abraham's faith. It was unwavering, even enough to offer his promised son. So considering the Midrash of which Paul, uh, which, which covenant do you want to be under? Think about it. Which city would you like to be a part of? The one with God? Or the one without God. No brainer, right? Those with their reliance on the Sinai covenant are Ishmael. And then he says to them, Now brothers, like Isaac, we are the children of promise. You know, he says, If you have your confidence in the Messiah Yeshua, you are the children of the promise. You, by your faith, have arrived at the goal of the Torah. Now, we all know, because I pointed it out many times, we all know that Yeshua is the goal of the Torah so that there may be righteousness for all who believe. Romans 10.4 told us that. But, you know, there are other goals in the Torah. He's not the only goal in the Torah. We just read another one earlier, right? God wants to have relationship with his people. Is that one of the goals of the Torah? God wants to, not only that, he wants to dwell among his people. Is that one of the goals of the Torah? Yes, it did. But did that pan out for the Sinai covenant? Did that pan out for them? No, it didn't pan out for them. And so, what does he say? God could not remain with his people under the Sinai covenant. The fact is, the Spirit of the Lord was not even in the second temple. So the Sinai covenant was a failure. God could not dwell with his people. Right? And that's not my opinion. God says that himself. He did, we just read it. He said, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. However, the covenant of promise through Yeshua is not a failure. And we have direct access to the Holy One. We just read it in that wonderful passage from Hebrews. We therefore have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Yeshua, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, which is His flesh. The goal we see throughout the Torah is community and one of God having relationship with His people. And Yeshua, the goal of the Torah... Restored that for us. We have the same type 
of relationship that Abraham had available to us. One of personal relationship. That's what your identity in the promise brings about. The amazing thing about this letter and the reason Paul says things like, I am amazed. I am perplexed. You foolish Galatians. Is that these non these non-Jews, these Galatians, have experienced that freedom and that relationship. Paul told us that in chapter 3, he said, in verse 5, he said, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? So they've experienced and they're contemplating finding their identity now through the Sinai covenant. Well, guess what? That's not, as Hebrews puts it, holding fast to our confession of hope because the one who promised is faithful. They're letting go of the promise of God for that which is going to reduce them once again to slavery. Who is it that's, pre- who is that, who is it that's persecuting them? So Paul says this, At that time, the son of the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. You see, the influencers are the ones that are persecuting. Isaac, the son of the promise given to Abraham, was persecuted by the son brought forth through the flesh. And the influencers are saying, you must do this. And and the promise says, you must do nothing. Because Yeshua did it all. He did everything. And they're being persecuted in that the influence will have no fellowship with them. Have nothing to do with them outside of... It won't touch them, won't have fellowship with them, won't go into their house, won't eat with them. So what does Paul say about all of it? Well, he he says this, but what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never have a share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Powerful statement because the influencers are also saying, we'll not have fellowship with you because you're uncleanness. You do this or we're going to exclude you, cast you out from fellowship. Well, here Paul turns the table and he says, hey, that's okay because Scripture says get rid of that. Get rid of the Sinai covenant and her followers in the flesh for they will not share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Who are the free woman's son? Well, he told us in verse 28, he said, Brothers, like Isaac, you are the children of the promise. Right? So finally he says, Therefore, brothers, we are not children of a slave woman, but of a free woman. This is a brilliant midrash. It's a brilliant lesson from Scripture and shows Paul's mastery over the Scriptures and his expertise in the art of midrash. And while it's directed at the non-Jews, You can also see it's an attempt to sway the influencers by showing them that the promise supersedes Torah and anyone's works of the law. Now, for us today, listen, folks, we're seeing these things in our day. Non-Jews are coming to an understanding of the law and the works of the law and the rabbis and are becoming just as rigid as the influencers in Galatians, Galatia were. Well, let me say this, and you see them all over the internet. 
You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. Let me just say something. Don't be swayed by the rhetoric. Remain in the promise given to Abraham. Remain steadfast in your faith in the seed of Abraham. Develop relationship with the Lord of all and with his Messiah. And with that relationship, search the scriptures asking as you read, Father, what is here for me to do? As Paul said, as he met Yeshua on the road to Damascus, Lord, what must I do? If you do that and you remain steadfast on that day, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant.